evening everyone. Tonight I thought I would talk about the dhammas that lead to success. The dhammas that lead to power, lead to victory, domination, lead you to conquer, idipada, the roads to power, you might say. But I like to think of them as the dhammas that lead to success. It's not exactly how you translate idipada, but it's an important aspect of these dhammas and it's important use for them. Because they don't they don't directly relate to mindfulness practice. They don't discuss, they don't talk about They aren't specific to insight meditation or, or anything really. They're just referred to as how you gain power. Accomplishment. Because I think success is something we're all of course very concerned about. One of the big doubts of a new meditator, and maybe even an old meditator, is will I succeed? Am I going to fail? Fear of failure. Craving for success. Well, some of that, of course, is unwholesome. It is good to be concerned with success. And so two things to say first of all. One is that there are of course many things that are outside of our control in regards to success. Just being able to come here is not something open to everyone. If we refer specifically to completing a meditation course at our center even for those people who for some reason want to, out of all the many things they can do, many of those people who even want to will not have an opportunity. Many things get in our way. We could be in debt, we could be sick, we could be caught up in obligations and so on, taking care of relatives or caught up in business and so on.
The second thing to talk about is um, the misconceptions about success, what success means. And so this is where a lot of the unwholesomeness comes in. I think we have often too big of an idea of what it means to succeed, that there should maybe be some certificate at the end or some ribbon that you cut or finish line that you cross and that you, someone's waving a flag or something. We have expectations about our state of succeeding and we're quite, dis quite disheartened when we feel like we're failing, failing to be mindful, failing to be equanimous, and so on. But to succeed in meditation, in, in mindfulness meditation, of course, means to be mindful. Mindful of good states, bad states. Mindful of your states, the states of mind. Not that they're yours or anything, but that they are what's present. They are yours in the sense that you're not anything else. If you're angry, that's what you've got. That you can't want to be or wish to be or feel like a failure because you're angry. Feel like a failure because you're not loving and kind and so on. Even though you might wish to be otherwise. If you're addicted to something, you can't be frustrated or disappointed in yourself or feel guilty. Success in mindfulness doesn't lie that way. Success in mindfulness lies in clarity, seeing things clearly. If you're practicing mindfulness, it may not change it's not supposed to change who you are. That's not the direct result. The direct result is seeing clearly. Before you can change who you are, become what we would all like to be, pure, happy, peaceful, good, kind, wise. You need the intermediary step of seeing clearly. We also have ideas about how how deep should be the results of practice. People are often discouraged after they leave the course, finish a course. First it seems like they've done great, great work. It seems like they've done a monumental amount of work because they've changed so much during their time here. Some of that change, of course, is simply from being in a peaceful environment and going through the withdrawal of sensuality and all of that will come back because it's not the, the effect of seeing clearly, it's just the effect of being in a peaceful place, which is good, it's not bad, it's great if you have an opportunity to live in such a place, but it's not on the level of seeing clearly doesn't bring about wisdom and understanding and really change who you are in a monumental way.
So we have to put aside a lot of our ideas of what success in meditation means. Success really means the ability to be mindful and see clearly. If you have those two things, any other results that we might think of as success, it will have to come by itself in its own time. And it might take a long time or a short time, but how you know that you're doing something right, that you're succeeding, is not the results because they require a certain capacity and they come in their own time, right? There can be many obstacles getting in the way of us seeing how wonderful how, how wonderful things have become. Like you might you might have had a suppose you, you you came here and you had a good job and you quit your job to come here. So then before you were here, well you knew what things were like. But then you leave here and you have no job and no money and, and maybe bad things happen to you. And then you think, what happened this meditation? My life's worse after the meditation. Right? That's an extreme example. But it means to say that you can't look at the effects of meditation, even when you're here. Our bodies go in cycles, our minds go in cycles, our habits come and go. If you have a habit of addiction, it's not going to be there every day, 24-7. So it might come back just when you think you're, you're doing a good job, and you think, wow, I, I was being very mindful, and suddenly I'm, I'm, my addiction comes back worse, or I'm, my anger comes back worse, or so on. Doubt, worry, anxiety, depression. very hard to see, to, to judge like that on the short term. Of course, over the long term, it's, it gets a lot easier, but much better way, a much more accurate way of understanding what it means to succeed and to have a good practice is, are you doing the right thing? Is what you're doing right? And it can't be because it leads to this result because you, you can't see that. You can't look at things that way. What you have to see, what's important for you to see in mindfulness, and this is what it means to succeed, is that seeing clearly is the right thing to do. I don't think that's hard to understand, to practice, to see. And if you, if you focus your attention there, like that's what it means to, be, to succeed, you will succeed. You'll get rid of all the doubt and the worry and the fear of failure and so on. And you have the proper focus in the practice. Try and see clearly and understand that seeing clearly is the right thing to do. That regardless of what the specific results are going to be today or tomorrow, nothing but good can come of seeing clearly. It's really hard to argue otherwise. No, seeing clearly is a bad thing. How could you argue that? It would be really bad if I understood things properly, right? That's really not an easy thing to argue. I don't know how you would. Or that there could be something better even. Well, it'd be better if I just loved everyone or something. Or if I just entered into a trance or something. That's even more important, perhaps, just to see how much better than all the other good things, how much better it is to see clearly. So this is talking about success. The, the Dhamma that I wanted to talk about, though, were the Idipada, the four 
roads to success. Again, I don't think it's a, lit a literal translation, it's power, but they're just powerful dhammas. And if you under if you once you hear them, you get the idea, you should be able to see that they're pretty broad, meaning they can apply to anything. Whatever you do, if you apply these four dhammas, you can be pretty guaranteed of success, right? There's no magic, there's no magic trick that leads to success. When you understand these, you'll get it. You'll say, oh yes, this. if you want to succeed in something, these are the things that you need. Sometimes you need luck and circumstances. There are many things outside of our control, but these four things are, you might say, within our control. They're within our capacity to direct our minds, to increase them, and to, to cultivate them. So the first one is chanda. Chanda means uh, liking or, or wanting. It can mean kama chanda means liking or, or wanting sensuality, sense desire, they say. Or pleasure, it can mean. But it means something, it means more literally something like uh, interest or contentment with being happy with something. Like when we say wanting to meditate. Well, we, I thought we wanted to get rid of wanting. What's this all about wanting to meditate, right? You just want to meditate, and here you are talking about getting rid of wanting. So the, the it, words make it difficult, but wanting to meditate, I hope you can all see, is that it's not an addiction. It's nothing like addiction to sensuality or becoming, I mean, it can be. If you have ideas about, I want to become a super meditator or a wise teacher or something like that, those can, of course, those are Baba Tanha and so on. But wanting to meditate is, is not exactly wanting, right? So it makes it so difficult. You can't want to meditate the same way you want chocolate or, or uh, drugs or something sensuality, sex, that kind of thing. It's not, the, it's not the same sort of wanting. So it doesn't mean quite wanting. Chanda is in regards to anything. You have to be interested in it. Your heart has to be into it. And so in a sense, you have to want to meditate. This one is quite difficult. And I can't stress enough, I think, not just to stress to you that it's necessary, but the details of, of what it means to want to meditate. It's not easy. I think many times when you're here, many times you'll find that you don't want to meditate. You have an aversion to it. And there's a question of how do I, just like how do I find success, a, a very strong question that might go unasked is, how do I make it so that I want to meditate? How, like, like with anything, right? If I want to succeed in my work, if you really want to succeed, you better enjoy it. You better want to do it. If not because you like it, because you have some ulterior motive for doing it, really put your heart into it. How do you put your heart into meditation? 
So a few things I can say about this. The first thing to say is that it's not something you can just manufacture. It's a failing. I mean, it's convenient that I should say that. It's a failing if you don't like to do what I teach you, right? If you don't like to do what we do here, it's convenient to me. But if we break it apart, what we mean and what's, what's I think, hard to argue against is, again, wanting to see clearly, wanting to be wise, wanting to understand how your mind works, why you're causing yourself suffering, wanting to understand uh, your, your interactions and your experiences so that you don't react badly, poorly, to cause stress for your, to yourself or others. Not wanting that is a failing. That's something we have to recognize. We're broken, we're, we're imperfect. That's human nature. Anyone who says we're perfect just the way we are, I don't think that's helpful. I mean, it's good, well-intentioned. You don't want people to feel bad about themselves or hate themselves or that sort of thing. But hatred is also just a defense mechanism. It doesn't make you a better person to hate yourself. It's just a, another one of our failings is hating ourselves. But recognizing our, our deficiency is important. So we're always going to be grinding the gears to some extent until we become the sort of person who likes to meditate. The sort of person who likes to meditate is, a good, is the good person, the exalted person, the person who has a pure mind. Some people, it's not hard to meditate. Some people are very keen to meditate. They would just do it all the time and they really enjoy it or they, they appreciate it, they're intent upon it. For other people, it's like pulling teeth. Well, for some people, of course, they, they would be repulsed by the idea of having to sit still. Some people want to try it. And this is a common thing, of course, wanting to want to meditate. I think we all want to want to meditate. But that's not enough. That's a good thing. It's a good sign. But it's not enough. And you shouldn't rely upon your wanting to want you should note that sort of thing as anxiety or worry about it or so on. Or craving, if it's a craving to be a good person or a pure person or a peaceful person. But we have to understand that you know, we're lucky that we have this much. Another thing to say about that, we're lucky we have this much but also this much will come and go. Our, our desire, our intent, our, our interest in meditation will come and go. And that's a challenge for meditators. It's something you have to be honest with yourself about. Just because today I don't want to meditate doesn't mean, doesn't mean I'm a failure, doesn't mean there's something wrong with the meditation, doesn't mean this is wrong for me, because just yesterday I really wanted to meditate and I really was good at it. This is very common. You'll be good at meditation for a while and then bad at it, or you'll like it for a while, you'll dislike it. We're not perfect. And so it requires patience and, and some amount of effort, some amount of work to improve that situation. 
You really do need to, if you want to succeed, you have to be intent upon it. How do you build chanda? Rather, I, I don't really have a, I don't have a canonical answer for this. I don't know if there is a sutta where the Buddha says, here are the ways you build chanda. But I know there are many places where he, he said the sorts of things, he talked about it. And so I put a list together here. I think I had four things. Let's see if I remember them. So the first thing is to examine why you don't want, uh, why you don't want to meditate. That's a common one. It's often not that there's anything wrong with meditation. It's that you have a state of mind that is contrary, that is averse. Now it can be because you built up an idea of what meditation is. Meditation, of course, not something that exists. There's no such thing as meditation. But we build a thing. We say, ah, yes, I have to go and meditate now. Which is kind of stupid because it's just being mindful every moment, right? If you say, now I have to go meditate, what does that look? What does that mean? Suddenly you turn a switch and you're meditating. That's a bad attitude. That one's misguided. There's no switch. The switch is every moment. In this moment, are you mindful? And so, the looking at the the, the aversion, the things that are that are that you you call not wanting to meditate, that you identify as being the aversion towards meditation. Look at those states: the aversion, the thoughts, even the concept of meditation, and say, "Ah, oh, that's all rubbish." The second thing is to, of course, this is the most common one to build chanda for the Dhamma, for the meditation practice, for the Buddhist teaching, is to think about all the reasons why you should want to see clearly, why you should want to have wisdom. Uh, old age, sickness, death, those are the big ones. A big reason why people come to meditate is because they get sick or they're getting old or they're dying, or they had a near-death experience. They had a, a, a near-death experience. They had a, had a close call or something, or someone they know died. Someone they know is dying. Someone they know is sick. Something bad happens to them. Something bad happens to them, and they can't deal with it. They can't cope. They don't have the tools. Most of us can cope with the ordinary suffering of life, and so look at all the people who are doing just that. They're not particularly enlightened, they're not, they don't see things particularly clearly, so they're not particularly peaceful or happy or clear-minded. But they can cope, but when bad things happen, so thinking about those things, some of the things that might happen, that we could all die, you know, if you died today, would you die with a pure heart? If something bad happened to you, if you broke your leg, or you lost a leg, or, or you got cancer, how would you deal with that? If you lost all your money and had to live on the street, what would that be like? Seeing how we react to pain, how hard it is for us to endure pain or loss or danger. Many reasons for us to want to see clearly, to be better able, better equipped to deal with the challenges of life.
The third thing we can do is cultivate cultivate wholesomeness. One of the big reasons why people want to meditate is, again, because they're good people. And there's many good things that we can do. If you're full of bad things, like you've done lots of bad things in your life, which most of us have, it makes it very much more difficult to meditate and much more difficult to want to meditate. Much more difficult to even have the mental capacity to think that meditation is good. Why? Because you're a bad person, right? You're, you're a corrupt person. You're, you're deluded. Your mind is soiled. Your mind is dark. Your mind is crooked. This manipulation that we have where we, we try and uh, weasel our way out of, of, of practicing mindfulness, right? Mindfulness is a very simple thing, but our mind is always crooked, even, even all of you who are good people. But if you're a very crooked person, imagine, you, you couldn't, you'd have so many excuses not to be mindful. As soon as it came to actually confronting your pain, confronting your mind, confronting the boredom even of just having to sit still, anything, you know, so many excuses, oh well, you, you manipulate yourself out of it. So doing good deeds is a good thing. Now for all of you here, of course there's not much mundane good stuff that you can do, you're not uh, giving charity or uh, becoming a monk or something like that, but, but the good things that you guys are doing here are, are of course far greater, you know, the, the charity of giving your time and, and dedicating yourself to becoming a better person, is, I mean it's such a wonderful thing for the world. The morality, the ethics is, of course, a very good thing. Just being such an ethical, living in a house like this with no, no television, no entertainment, not going out in the world and fighting with people, manipulating people, reacting to people when they manipulate you, that sort of thing. There's none of that here. And, of course, the meditation you're doing. I think this is this was the fourth thing is practicing to understand and to clear your mind. This relates to what I said earlier about meditation not being a thing. It's about the moments. The best way to gain the interest and the intent in meditation is to build up the skill of it. To focus on the moments of mindfulness. Because yeah, maybe you can't sit for an hour, but you can sit for however many moments there are in an hour, if you're just in the moment. If you're just in the moment, there's only, all you have to deal with is this moment. And so if you change the way you look at things, and this comes from being mindful, you're building the habit of being in the present moment, and sitting all, walking and sitting all day becomes quite easy. You stop thinking about the hours or the minutes, how many minutes are left. And you're here, you're present. That's of course the very difficult, that's the, the, the challenge of it, but it's important that we nail this one and we, 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 we set ourselves in such a way that we don't have to feel discouraged about the practice or averse to the practice. Because of course that 
that leads to failure. So the first one, chanda, you have to understand and, and keep that in mind. The second one is virya. Virya is effort. If you want to succeed at anything, you need to, of course, work at it. In meditation, there's a bit. It's a bit um, different from other kind of work. You can't just push really hard. You can't just force yourself into it. It's not just the more work you put in, the, the better the result is. Right effort, something I don't talk about probably enough, is yeah, there's, four, there's four aspects to it. But it seems quite simple. It's not the kind of thing that you, it's the kind of thing you hear once and you just skim over it and think, oh yes, that's simple. At right effort is the effort to stop whole unwholesomeness from arising and to get rid of unwholesomeness that has already arisen. And one and two. Number three, to build wholesomeness that has not yet arisen. And four, to, to maintain wholesomeness that has already arisen. So it's quite simple. It sounds like quite a simple formula. But there's, I think there's more to it than simply understanding about it means regards to wholesomeness and unwholesomeness. I mean, it, it's not just theoretical. This is what we're doing in our practice. Unwholesomeness that has not yet arisen, if you can get to that point, I mean, that's actually difficult in the beginning. Well, difficult at least to see, but in regards to those things that normally make you angry or normally you crave, as you get more skillful in the practice, you start to see that you, you, you don't crave them anymore, you don't get angry anymore. If you hear a noise and you say hearing doesn't scare you or doesn't make you annoyed, if you see the food and you say seeing, it doesn't build craving in you. There's very much what we're doing. It's one aspect of the practice, is the capacity to note experiences, seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, feeling, thinking to know what we're doing without giving rise to reaction to it. That's what the noting is meant to evoke. It's meant to evoke a sort of a objective, equanimous state. Wholesome, unwholesomeness that has already arisen, how do you make it disappear? Not by wanting it to go away or not by getting upset about it. That just makes it worse. That's why we're mindful even of the bad stuff. If you want something, saying wanting, if you don't like something, if you're angry or bored. These are unwholesome, but you can build unwholesome, you can build wholesomeness on them by being mindful. Building wholesomeness that hasn't arisen, I mean, of course, this, on a moment-to-moment -moment level, this just means being mindful, but in a more general sense, it refers to our building new habits. This is, should be something new to, to many people who come. It's something quite foreign, alien even. It feels strange, odd, artificial, contrived. And of course it is artificial and contrived. Meditation is an artifice. It's like putting a, a machine on, a, on, a, like on an oil well. And you want to get the oil out. Meditation is meant to, to, it's like when you have a tree leaning in one direction and 
you want to stop it from falling over, you have to take a rope, which is artificial. But eventually it becomes it's something that you get good at. Until that point, you're building up new skills. An important aspect of cultivating new wholesomeness is about the ability to learn new things and to be clear that this is not something that we're familiar with or good at. Of course, mindfulness is the greatest wholesomeness. The Buddha said something like, if you want to talk about wholesomeness, you can't leave mindfulness out. Basically that in order to, to have wholesomeness, in order to be a good person or have a clear mind, pure mind, you can't keep mindfulness out of the equation, sati. And of course, keeping the keeping wholesomeness once it's already arisen. What else, what I can say about this? The, the one important thing to say is that maintaining your practice. Um, first of all, it involves repetition. In the beginning, even though you are at times practicing well, don't be discouraged when suddenly you're not practicing well, because again, there's many different conflicting habits inside. In the beginning, it's quite difficult to be consistently mindful. But once you become consistently mindful, maintaining that, an important point that we should all remember is that there are two ways to fail in, in, at that point. To not fail, but, but fall back, or... Um, what's the word? lose your groove, I don't know the word, backslide maybe. One is if you start pushing harder. Maintaining wholesomeness, again, is not about, well, I was pushing this hard and I got good results, so I'll just push harder. It's not how it works. If you push harder, there's many things involved with that, desire, greed, maybe ego and attachment. Mindfulness isn't something you can force. It's delusion to think that you can push harder. If you push harder, you, many unwholesome things come up. And the other one, of course, is the opposite. If you start getting lazy, when it gets easy, it's very easy to lose all of the good qualities that got you there. And you start to rest on your laurels and feel like you can just coast through. This happens with a lot of good things that come up. When you are mindful, many good good uh, experience will positive experiences will come. Maybe you feel happy or calm. You might even see bright lights or colors. You feel very confident about the practice. There's lots of good things that come up that are actually bad. They're bad in the sense that they're very easy to cling to them and get lost in them. They're not bad. They're just a cause for you to get bad when you stop being mindful. When you're mindful, you have to maintain mindfulness. That's your only, the only task. The only thing you have to do is exactly what you did to get there. Exactly what you've been doing. It's a simple practice. It should never change. Problem is, of course, everything else around you changes as well. That's why we have jitta. The third one is jitta. Chitta means keeping your mind on the on the thing. 
whatever you do, if it's meditation, not meditation, ambitions in the world, in order to succeed you need to keep your mind on the work. So we talk about meditating con uh, continuously, consistently. The problem and the difference with this sort of meditation and other work is the object is not consistent. Uh, with many kinds of work it becomes repetitious because the thing that you're focusing on doing is the same. Or the thing, the object of your, your attention is the same. You're chopping wood. Well, if you've ever chopped wood, it's, it can be somewhat challenging at times. But in the end, a lot of it is just the same object. If you practice samatha meditation, the object is going to be very much the same every time. And so it's not so difficult to eventually become very focused and keep your mind on the object. In vipassana meditation, we don't have that luxury. The object is changing. There's something you have to recognize. Why is it changing? Because your experience changes. Your physical body, your, your, your surroundings, your interaction, even physically with your surroundings, your mind, your habits of the mind. They have cycles, and, and not, it's not even just cycles, they have patterns, and it's quite complex. The ability, and it's an important ability, the ability to keep your mind focused on the task, even when the objects are changing, is essential in, in insight meditation practice. To not worry about the situation, the condition is, it will change. Strange things might happen. You might see crazy things, you might feel strange things, good things, bad things. You might be feel like your head is going to explode, feel like you're going crazy. The conditions will change. Sometimes you'll feel peaceful, sometimes you'll feel excited or restless. None of that you have to, you have to keep constant. That's not where the, fo the consistency has to come. You just have to, what you have to keep consistent is your mindfulness, your practice, your activity, your work. All you have to do is maintain the mindfulness. And the fourth is vimangsa. Vimangsa means wisdom. It's often just glossed as that and, and left at that. And so for wisdom in meditation, of course, in the meditation practice, not only is the goal to see impermanent suffering and non-self, but you really kind of need them to help you progress in the practice. Right? If you if you think if you're looking for something stable, you're just gonna get destroyed in the practice, because nothing's stable, it's changing, it's inconstant, it's unpredictable. If you're trying to hold on to something, it's going to, okay, this, this will stay like this, you're only going to be disappointed and get on the wrong path. If you're looking for something that is satisfying, you're looking for pleasure or happiness, if you're wondering when the meditation is just going to be fun and, and enjoyable, it can be at times, and if you practice in certain ways, you can have very enjoyable practice, but it's very wrong-headed. Looking for happiness outside is the problem. Looking for happiness in things is, is really the, the reason why we're practicing, to change. 
because you can't be happy that way. You can only cultivate more desire. If you were happy, why would you need a thing to make you happy? Being happy is, it has to be independent of things, independent of experiences. So the real way to be happy has to be outside of experience. It has to be outside of this or that or the other thing. Don't look for it. Don't wait for it to come. Really, once you remove suffering, you know, once you remove the causes of suffering, then happiness will be there already. It's all that's left. And if you're looking for something to control, trying to force and control and be in charge, you're only going to come in contact with more things that are out of your control and be stressed and distressed when they're not under your control. Being a control freak, really, in the end, it, it takes things far more out of your control than, than, than otherwise because it stresses you, it creates sickness inside. When you're a control freak, it leads to physical problems, it leads to mental and brain problems, trying to control and being free, uh, a control freak. You know. And then it will lead to sickness, and that, of course, is far more out of your control. Because you're putting a, you're forcing things to be in an artificial way, rather than just trying to naturally let go of them. You get sick in the mind as well, and build up all sorts of neurotic behavior and so on. So it gets even more out of your control in the end. So wisdom, of course, is important. But Vimangsa, in a more general sense, I think it's important to understand, it refers to the sorts of things that I've been talking about, the, your capacity to see when you're practicing wrong. Vimangsa is the difference, is, is, is the different, is the opposite or the, the counterpart, not the opposite, the counterpart to jitta. Jitta is where you just do it, you know, you put your, your chanda, virya, jitta, you put your mind into it and you do it. But Vimangsa says, wait a minute, you're doing it wrong. Or, you know, this way would be more helpful. Vimangsa is the capacity to see when you're doing something wrong. To see what you're doing wrong. I'm doing this and that's why I'm stressed, that's why I'm suffering. I'm doing this and I'm clinging and I'm not really practicing. Vimangsa is the ability to adjust your practice. And really the adjustment, or adjust, really adjust what you're doing in, in anything. Suppose you're in business, Vimangsa is where you, you, you stop just doing your work and you say, oh, if I did it this way it would be more efficient, for example. But in mindfulness, in mindfulness, it all comes back to being mindful, being more mindful. It's not about finding a trick, it's not about finding a, a way to make it easier. The adjustment that we always have to make is, is be more honest and more confrontational. Not in, in the ordinary way that word is used, but having the, the ability and the capacity to confront our problems, to confront the challenges, the difficulties, the, the things that cause us to react. Rather than trying to find a way to make it easier, try and learn about why it's difficult, why it's challenging. Hunt out the challenges, the difficulties. Hunt out what it is that's causing us stress and trouble. 
learn to face them. Understand that the real problem that we have in meditation is our incapacity to face our problems, face things, because we see them as problems, react to them violently, poorly. So constantly, in, we monks in meditation in that sense, is constantly checking whether we're being honest with ourselves. Am I really confronting or am I just trying to take the easy way out? And that's fine in the beginning. I mean, sometimes it's just too much. You can't walk because you're too distracted, so you sit. You can't sit because you're too restless, so you lie down. It's fine. In the beginning, it's fine to retreat a little bit. That's what you've done coming here. You can't do this in your life, so you came here where it's easier. That's fine. But know that the ultimate goal is mindfulness everywhere, with everything, confronting, not running away, but not trying to change, not trying to fix just trying to see clearly. So, chanda viya chitta vimangsa. Together, these four are the four idipada. They're, they're four of the thirty-seven bodhipakya dhamma, the 40, thirty-seven dhammas that partake in enlightenment or have a part in gaining enlightenment. You don't need to hear what all thirty-seven of them are. Maybe one day I'll do a talk on it, but. It's a little bit overwhelming more than anything else. But just know that these four are part of the, the practice. They're part of the path. And they're a good thing to know sort of as an outside, a, a metta thing. Like they're not talking about how to be mindful, but they're saying if you're going to be mindful and you want to succeed at it, you want to get good at it, just like anything else, you need these four things. So that's the Dhamma for tonight. Thank you all for listening.